Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today, we have a very special guest, a man that we hope he's feeling okay. He's in day six right now, Mr. Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer, how you doing, man? I'm sad. I'm sad. Uh, some of the symptoms have passed, and I'm still dealing with some, but, you know, it's, it's like, and we have to let people know, right? You uh, you tested positive for for COVID nineteen. You were in the process of getting prepared to go down to the bubble to Orlando. You were the leading scorer uh, on the Brooklyn Nets for people that don't know. So you're a pretty vital piece to the Brooklyn Nets and and, and what they're doing in the playoffs. So um, this period, right? Can you just explain the process? You test positive, and then what's the next step from there? Uh, test positive, and I have to go through all the you know quarantine stuff that uh, the CDC and World Health Organization recommend. So obviously that puts my bubble plans on delay or kind of in question. But, you know, I want to join the team and I want to, you know, get back out there, um, win, and if, you know, all, poss- all possible. And you look at the, the Nets team, it's not just you. I mean, we've had, you know, the, the Kevin Durant. Like, I think there's like five guys on the team that have reported yeah. Wilson Chandler decided to sit out um, for family reasons. You know, the, there was you know guys that were signed like a Tyler Johnson type. There's a lot of moving parts. So even when you get oh, yeah. down to Orlando, it'll be a different team in and of itself. I mean, how's that, you know, like being a player, knowing that the team is changing and every single day it's a different situation? Um, it's definitely in flux. I mean, I think we all kind of knew it was going to be a little bit of a bridge year uh, since KD wasn't going to be playing um, th- this year. So we kind of got taken in stride, and I think we've done a great job of that throughout the year to even be in the playoffs. You know, we played most of the season without, um, you know, our quote-unquote big three, Kyrie, Karras, and, uh, and KD. So, you know, there's not many teams that can say that. You know, uh, the, the Warriors missed their big three from, from last year, and they're the worst team in the league. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's a testament to the guys, testament to the guys in the locker room, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, you know, Garrett Temples, Wilson Chandler's of the world. Um, and we're going we're gonna to try to fight in Orlando too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, Spencer, this has been a very unusual year, to, to say the least. And now, you know, with this restart, I don't know what you what you how you feel as a player. I would love to hear your uh, your your views on it. What has been your preparation or what was your preparation as you guys are about to start up? Because, I mean, it's not like a normal off season in many regards yeah. and it's the same restart. You know, that's where they're terminated. So what has that process been like for you as a player? Extremely tough. Um to your point, it's not a normal offseason there. There wasn't the normal schedule of workouts and the, you know, two-a-days or the ramp-up period and the cool-down periods and, and, you know, really being regimented. It was just kind of like, you know, try to find the best workout you possibly can. You know, I was I was lucky to be in a place in, in San Antonio where I had access to, you know, a weight training facility where I could, you know, lift weights and run a little bit. I know some guys didn't even have that. Um so, so it's gonna it's gonna be some interesting or an interesting quality of basketball uh, when the restart happens. Uh, it'll it'll people will probably be a little bit out of sorts. Yeah, no, for for sure. And look, um, I got to ask you some questions. You know, most here don't know, and um, you know, before you chose Colorado, you know, not many people know you were admitted to Harvard. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the education <laughs> background. And then I want to ask you about this CBA. I got to ask you because you're active. <laughs> I got to ask you about things that you know. And I know you have massive views about it. But talk to us about how education has played a part in, in your life, your career, and where did that all come from? Yeah. Uh, my foundation education comes from my mom. Uh, she's a PhD from the University of Southern California. So, you know, she's a Trojan through and through, and academics are always her sticking point. 
Um, when I was young, it was always, you know, if you get your homework done, you can play basketball as much as you want. And obviously I wanted to play and shoot and, you know, do all that stuff uh, all day and all night. So I had to hurry up and get my homework done and, and do it to a standard so that I could go out and play essentially. Um, the, the Harvester is actually an interesting one. Um, after my freshman year in high school, they, they were doing like the, these tests for like, you know, gifted kids or whatever. And one of the parts of the program was you had to take the SAT to get in. So I took the SAT uh, after my freshman year in high school and I got a 1400 out of the 1600 at the time. Um, and so that was like the main uh, thing that kind of got me into Harvard. I think I had like a three, five or something like that in school, which was, you know, good, not great. Um, and, and really the reason for that was once I started realizing I was going to be able to get a college scholarship, I told my mom, I was like, <laughs> school's not really my thing. Like, I'm good at it, but I don't like it. And I remember she, she looked at me with so much just like shock and she was so distraught. I, I remember kind of feeling bad, but just, you know, like, like, you know, when your parents are genuinely like hurt, but I was like, right. Ma, I don't really, I don't really, you know, take to school like that. She was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, school is great. And I'm like, yeah, no, nah, it's not. It's not for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really how all that happened. You know, just got to credit my mom on that. No, and then I was going to say, I mean, from there, right, you, you go to Colorado, you don't go to Harvard, but you're still a very intelligent human being. You're still learning about more out in the world that's not just in the classroom, right? You're picking things up. And then that leads us to the next question, which is, you know, or the next situation with the NBA. They, they go to the players and they say, you can put whatever you want on the back of your jersey send your own message you know there's a lot of people that you know we'd seen brianna taylor been mentioning all these you know different different george floyd of course um but you say trillion and uh then people are confused because in a basketball term that would be like you play it one minute and then you got nothing on the stat sheet you got a trillion um shout out to mark titus for that and then the the next thing that we have is people ask you what it is and you're talking about the debt and i don't think there are many nba players that are that are worried about the national debt maybe as much as you are can you explain where that interest comes from (laughs) And, and what's oh, going on? Because I feel like I need to know, Spencer. What, what, I, what do I need to know? No, no. So, like, pretty much what you apply your mind to is what you're going to kind of get good at, right? So mm-hmm. I study basketball. I also study finance, quite honestly. And, you know, people know about, like, my affinity for cryptocurrency. But, you know, there's a general financial education that you kind of go through and try to learn about and all these things. So, you know, in anything in life, because our world – to date is really kind of controlled on money and and that's like kind of the way it works like that's how the power system works Mm -hmm. pretty much my message was like follow the money you know i mean like it it wasn't to get into all the nuance of policy necessarily because it's impossible to do that on twitter like twitter's such a snapshot of you know ideas and and thoughts that's hard to convey like you know a full essay in, in a twitter format even when you try to put together, a, I think it ended up being like a 15 part tweet or something like that. Um, so it was more about saying like follow the money and then looking at, you know, in the system, how it does affect social injustice. Like, because people want to write off something like national doesn't say it doesn't affect social injustice, but you know, when you privatize the uh, prison system and you make it basically a for-profit business and it's where you can get some of the cheapest labor in the world, if not the cheapest, like, business that's money there's a monetary reason for you to stick these people in jail and make sure jails are fully stocked so you get paid per bed filled and these guys are you know uh, producing you know jobs i will producing goods and things for an extremely cheap cost you know what i mean if, if, if you're gonna get paid 
you know, $15 an hour to produce something, but somebody in jail is going to get paid essentially a dollar an hour on their books, you know, as a, as a conglomerate corporation, that's a no brainer. You're saving $14 an hour per body. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 that's how they're going to think. And that's how they're going to function. That's how macro finance looks at it. They don't say, Oh, this is morally, you know, repugnant for me to, you know, use a prisoner. They're going to say, hell no, I get to, say $14 an hour. Like that's, that's the same thing as if, if you told me you could get LeBron to play for the Lakers on a minimum, you wouldn't be like, nah, nah, I, I gotta, I gotta pay him that $40 million. You'd be like, well, if he wants to do it. Yeah. It's like Cam Newton uh, on the Patriots, you know, playing for a million dollars. Yeah. He's going to do it. I mean, I'm not going to tell him no. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's how big business operates. Mm-hmm. And, and I know since we are talking about follow the money, we have to follow the CBA. And I know you have a lot of views here. And I have to ask you, because mm-hmm. I know you're very involved with the Players Union and you, you're following all of this. I want you to share with us and our audience here about the possible implications of the owners trying to renegotiate this new CBA. Or, and better yet, opting out of the current CBA yeah. What are your views on this? Because this is a stickler, a real sticking point, and not many people are talking about it. Yeah. But I know you <laughs> have some views about this. And I yeah. want to hear from my guy. <laughs> the microphone is yours. It's hot now. It's hot. It's hot. No, no doubt. Um, I think Adam Silver and the owners of the various teams are obviously uh, – very intelligent, brilliant business minds. And what you're seeing right now is a masterclass in uh, media manipulation. Um, and just like kind of, again, like macro business thought, right? Because if you can like get somebody to focus on your left hand, but what you're really trying to gain is whatever you're working on in your right hand, then it's it's big time, you know? And they, they've got everybody in the in the whole world right now talking about, the Orlando restart, the bubble, how, you know, they were missing so much money and, you know, they're just going to be so thankful to just try to make some of it back and yada, yada, yada. Let's call a spade a spade. Orlando would not be happening if they didn't know they were going to make money. All right. That's, that's the way this works. This is real. This is the entertainment industry. If they thought they were going to lose money, we wouldn't be doing it. They'd just cut the cord and said, we're going to cut our losses where they're at. Thank God for the pandemic. It is what it is. But, when they saw an avenue to make money, they did it, which is fine, right? We're in a capitalist society, it's an entertainment industry. It benefits both players and you know ownership and all that stuff. But like I said, the caveat is what they've been doing, and while everybody's been focusing on this bubble, is stretching out you know this ability to lock players out or renegotiate the CBA, turn the escrow from you know ten percent to you know something that's multitudes higher, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all based on obviously financial gain because once again we just talked about if you can get you know LeBron to play for the for forty million or for one million what are you going to do like you're going to get him to play for one million that's that's how that's that's finance especially if you know your bottom line is not going to be affected by the quality that he's going to put out there that's what you're going to do so you know when when the owners have this opportunity to potential to, to potentially still make their money still have team valuations go higher. They understand that everybody's in the house. They're looking at the business model of NASCAR and MMA and the viewership ratings and understanding like, hey, like we can make a lot of money doing this. And even next year, if we do a one city quarantine league, you know, we can make a ton of money, 
you know, because everybody's going to be in one spot. We can start selling data. Data is one of the most important things to sell in the new world. Why do you think Google has such a high valuation? It's a search engine. It's worth billions and billions of dollars because people buy data. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's all these derivatives of the business model that they're going to be able to sell and monetize. You know, we're going to be wearing rings and they get to keep the data for, I believe it's 10 years. You, th you think people don't want to understand how world-class athletes cope with COVID-19? Mm -hmm. They're going to charge an arm and a leg for stuff like that. Like it, it's all these different things that nobody focuses on and, and the CBA and, and all the stuff, like I said, with the actual big dollars that are going on in the back end that players are horribly like, just like honestly ignorant to because you're, you're focused on the dollars in front of your face instead of realizing like what can happen to the dollars that you know go down the line two years three years four years five years you know and, that, and that's based off of greed and necessity and you know everybody's a victim to it at one point in time like you know i mean look, look at me right like this is supposed to be my first year being rich because i was on men with my whole first five years in the league and now they're taking you know whatever percentage it is that they're taking so you know it's it's part of the process but guys gotta start to think beyond you know what i mean like you just you just have to or if we don't have the unity, we're going to continue to get crushed because at the end of the day, they're better business people typically and they're a more unified group because there's only 30 of them instead of 450. You know what I mean? Like when the whole Black Lives Matter stuff started going on, and I know I'm ranting, so I'm sorry. but No, I, this no, is no, great, no. Spencer. This I, is great. They, you, you didn't hear many owners stepping up and making statements and things like that. They all let Adam Silver speak for them, mm -hmm. right? And, and you assumed all the owners were on the same page. Adam Silver spoke for them and they moved as a unit. And so if they're that unified unit going against a fractured player group that has a hierarchy within it where the max players can say this, that, and the third, and so it looks like they speak for the players, but then the minimums or the mid-levels don't have a voice and da-da-da. Like, you know, the the most the, – the, the scariest thing for the owners would be a, you know, robust mid-level where all the players are on the same page. Because then you can come to them as collective and say, hey, look, like, we understand the, situ the system works like this, but we kind of want it to work like this. So how are we going to work together to make this all happen? But as long as we're fractured, uh, man, it's, you know, it's, it's target practice. You can just pick people off one by one. It's easy. Well, my natural question after listening to this, and this is, this is fabulous, is what do you think this means for the player long term? And in particular, because I know you've thought about it for yourself, what does this mean for a player like yourself? Because mm -hmm. you're in the heart of your career right now. You are at the highest earning potential right now of your career. What does this mean for a player like yourself and the, and the league moving forward? Well, it depends, right? It depends on if they smooth the cap, um, if they actually don't have to do anything to the cap, which, you know, as many regional TV deals and, and TV deals abroad as they're signing right now, I don't think they should have to do too much to the cap um yeah so if they smooth if it doesn't change or if it's a one-year big hit if it's a one-year big hit it doesn't really affect me too much because i still have one more year on my deal um before i opt out and you know see what see what's out there right so if the cap drops to 90 and goes shoots right back up to 125 that would be right in my you know free agency time period nothing would affect me um if it's smooth right so instead of my free agency year being 125 my free agency year is like 118 does that affect me a ton? Probably not. You know what I mean? Because you're still looking at percentages of maxes. Um, is somebody going to give me like a full 25% max? Probably not. I'll probably be sub that, but in, you know, a higher, a higher tier of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to me, whether you make 
23 million annually or 24 million annually or whatever, like that's not really that big of a difference. You know what I mean? So um, that wouldn't really change anything. And obviously if um, the cap doesn't change too much at all, and they just do the whole like bloated escrow thing, then that doesn't really affect me much either. So um, I'm kind of in a decent spot um, as long as the league continues. I mean, if there's a full blown lockout and a war and, you know, they decide to just take revenue back and now we're looking at 53% to the owners and 40, what, 7% to the players. Well, then that affects the whole, whole system. I mean, that's, that's, that's dooms, doomsday scenario for sure. (laughs) For everyone, for everyone. I mean, it's fits it like you, you're breaking this all down so beautifully and eloquently. And then you're also talking about Bitcoin, right? Because you're talking about, like you said, you're not looking at the surface level of the situation, which is like, give me my millions now and let me just be okay. You're like, I want to, I want to figure out what it looks like in the future. So, so what is that like? And what is that conversation like? Cause we've learned like the Bobby Bonilla contract, he's still getting paid out from the Mets, you know, 25 years later, these things can be negotiated. And uh, yeah. So how's that, how's that for you? So to me, I mean, that, that was also a a brilliant deal as well. I know a lot of people talk about like, I want all my money up front. It it depends, right? Like if you're looking at time value of money, if you're talking about $5 million right now or 5 million paid out over 25 years, well, then you take the five million now, like that, that's a no brainer. But what it ended up turning out to be for him because of the 8% increases in the annuity style structure, it was either like 5 million now or 1.1 for 35 years. Starting like, in 2011. Big, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's what 20 is like $28 million or something like that. So, you know, when, when you're dealing in those type of numbers, if that's your prerogative personally to just know like, Hey, I'm gonna get a million dollars a year for 25 years. Um, instead of getting five million right now, like that's perfectly fine. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So I think what he did was brilliant and it's probably right for him. Um, when, when you speak about Bitcoin and digital assets as a whole, that, that starts a whole like fiat versus sound money, like conversation and why I have, you know, or why I'm drawn to that. Um, as an investor, I typically like things that I, or are typically termed like sound money, right? So mm-hmm. gold, real estate, um, commodities of that nature. Um, and then also obviously your explosive growth areas within that would be digital assets because their monetary policy is is very transparent. That's basically the way uh, blockchain kind of works. Like you see what's going on, they kind of tell you what's going on versus like uh, fiat money, um, which is paper money obviously, and we can print it. And so that's kind of what my whole, um, 15 part tweet was about like people talk about modern monetary theory and you know other reasons for why it's good that the government can just you know print money to you know just get us out of trouble or bail us out of trouble and you know my whole thing is like the 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 two key reasons why that works for us is because we say hey like we'll blow you up Mm -hmm. in terms of like our army or we'll lock you out of the swift system which is you know how basically money moves around the world right now but the problem is if like there is an alternative to the swift system if people start using something else well you don't have the foothold anymore unless you're going to go to nuclear war with everybody so that that's where like you you would much rather have like good monetary policy good practices like not just oh i'm just going to print it because i can right like you're, you're playing monopoly at that point like think about it every time i wanted to go buy something 
I just said, well, you're just going to, you know, give me the car because I said so. Mm-hmm. You're just going to give me the house because I said so. Like, I'm just, I'm going to swipe my card and it's just going to say approved regardless whether I have the money or not. That would be insane. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys are looking at me like right. I was crazy. But that's <laughs> quite literally what the government is doing at the moment. You know what I mean? So it's the, the dollar's been devalued 90% since you know, in the last, what, 100 years or something like that, like the buying power of the dollar, like, these, these are all things that are easily Googleable. They're facts. Like, there's, this is not Spencer blowing smoke. So, you know, when you when you study some of those things, it's not even to say Bitcoin is the ultimate answer or whatever. It's just closer to an answer than uh, other things that I've, I've found. We're, we're going to add here on, mm-hmm. on our podcast a new nickname for you. <laughs> trillion. We're going to add Trillion as your new nickname. That's your... <laughs> I, love I, I love I love listening to you. So we're going to call you... We're going to just call you Trillion here. We're going to call him... <laughs> now I know why Trillion. He, he's speaking this into existence. Uh, but you have a trillion dollar idea. And I want you to share here about the sneakers and your sneaker deal. I, 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 I applaud you. I love it. I think more players need to do it. And I'm old enough to have seen the very first guy do it, right? Jordan, (laughs) I happen to have a a front row seat. And all of a sudden, you're doing it. You know, you you had opportunities like all these players. And you had this trillion dollar, literally, idea right in front of you. Talk to us about why you're doing it. I know you're involved with it. But but share, like, what what, what brought this about? Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, overall, I would say a passion project in terms of like drawing shoes since I was a kid. I'm not a great artist, but, you know, I can draw shoes a little bit. And so there's a passion there. That's one side. And then understanding like the the system that that we're in, right, of the entertainment industry. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about agents, players, teams, you know, whatever, like, they're all very important, obviously, but the most important piece to the system is the fan. If the fan doesn't spend their money, right, there's no business. Like, that's that's the way this whole entertainment industry works. And then the second most important piece is the talent, is the asset, right? Because that's what the fan is trying to consume. So understanding, like, your value as an asset, especially with the rise of social media and being able to connect directly to people, like, what type of value you bring. And then, you know, not just thinking about everything in the binary regular sense um for example like i said with the orlando restart right people are only thinking okay they're not selling tickets but they're you know you're going to be watching on cable so they're getting that ad revenue but like i said what happens when they sell the players data what happens you know when you can provide special access to this group to the bubble but not to the other group right and you can make them pay a premium like there's all these different things like is there a, a side deal broker with Disney, right? They say it costs X amount of dollars, but maybe it really doesn't cost that much. You, ne- you never know, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's very much the same thing kind of like with shoes and things like that, right? Like you can, your game worn shoes can be sold or used to do something, right? If they have a social injustice message, like you can do, you know, certain different things. Like you can have them collected and traded. And there's there's all types of derivative markets that come from, things that we put our likeness in or our intellectual property towards. And so expanding those areas and, and really like focusing on that type of stuff, like you can make money obviously retailing shoes or retail selling shoes. Then you can make money also, like I said, selling your game worn shoes. 
You can make money in a variety of different ways. Like you can boost your social media profile by giving away shoes. And then the next time you do an endorsement with somebody else, well, now I have a million followers or 250,000 followers. So instead of paying me the 100,000 follower rate, I got to get paid the $250,000 follower rate. Like this is, this is the synergistic system that we view sometimes too like siloed to like, Hey, it's, it's this or it's that it's Nike or it's Adidas. You know what I'm saying? Like, where there's so much more nuance to this and that's really like how big companies and stuff make a lot of money right because think about it like if i'm nike and i'm gonna pay bj a hundred thousand dollars i better know that bj is at least worth a million two million mm-hmm. he gotta be because i have to have enough margin for error here mm-hmm. i can't agree to pay him a hundred thousand dollars a year over three to five years Going okay, I'm I'm going to just give him three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and ah, he may only be worth ten thousand. Like, there's no way it's a losing business model. You have to know that person right there is worth ten, twenty times. You know what what uh what I'm paying him. It's the same type of markup on retail. You know what I mean? The shirts that we we buy every day from a Nike probably cost them four dollars to make. Maybe I mean we buying them for fifty. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a 10x markup because they have to have all of that room for error in there because some are going to be printed wrong some are you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's the same way they do you know talent-based product you know what i mean they're, they're going to try to lowball you they give you a tenth of what you're worth so they have all that margin to be able to hit their target so it's just like you know economics <laughs> it's economics. <laughs> it's that simple. I was going to say, Spencer. I mean, what a locker room you guys must have in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Kyrie comes in. You talked about like the the splintered, you know, voices within the NBA. Well, Kyrie comes in. He's obviously got his own voice. He's putting a message out there. Kevin Durant obviously is a big name, big figure, a guy that's won Finals MVPs, won MVPs. He's got his own voice, his own brand going on. You obviously, I've been really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, you know, I, I've I've seen you, you know, do interviews and things like that. I can obviously pick up on it but it's great to hear you extrapolate your points. But I mean, that, that seems like a fun locker room dynamic. You know what I mean? That, that seems like it'd be terrifying to the, to the owners that you guys are all talking to each other. I, I, I would love to hear these conversations. Yes. So, you know, I'd love to hear nah, these nah, conversations. great. I mean, you, you know, I, I can't divulge uh, locker room secrets, but Absolutely, you know, of course, and Kyrie of course. Are, are, they're brilliant individuals. And, you know, uh, when, when they're in there, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk to them. And I think everybody uh, soaks up game and is able to kind of bounce things off each other and then you know you even have the Nick Claxton's and Jared Allen's of the world who are on the younger side you know able to offer their opinion and 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 maybe even be a fly on the wall in certain conversations they don't feel comfortable in so it's fun well I'll be remiss not to ask at least one basketball question here while (laughs) while we're talking about your game and you know when you were a young player you you were like a, a, a pass first guard yeah when you were a young player yeah. And suddenly now to watch you now, you are a scoring guard. You're 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 you 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 keep the defense honest, as we like to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you know, you came in this league, you were a second round pick, you kind of mm-hmm. bounced around a little bit, and then suddenly you found your you found your stride. What was the turning point for you to make this really transformation in your game yeah. from a young player to suddenly now you know, you've kind of found your niche and found your stride in this league. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say as a player, when you're growing up and you're, and you're trying to be the best basketball player possible, you try to uh, be well-rounded, but understand like, you know, for the league, you need to focus on your strengths and whatnot. 
And then um, one thing I think I always prided myself on was trying to do whatever it took to win. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a coach said, hey, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, and I was going to go out there and try to do it to the best of my ability. So um, passing is something that has come very easy to me. Uh, you know, since I was in high school, I mean, I should I average almost more assistant points in, in my senior year in high school. Uh, so when, when Sam was like, hey, run the offense, you know, don't make any mistakes, like – you know, just do that. It was, it was, that was simple. It was like, okay, you come out here, you run the offense, you try to throw it down to Drummond, or you know, you try to come pick and roll and find the shooters. You know, Jody Meeks, et cetera, whatever works. And and then you don't make mistakes, and then you obviously play your ten minutes and come and sit on the bench, and <laughs> you know, and hopefully, you know, one day you have it, you built it up enough uh, rapport and confidence that they give you a little more rope, a little more leash, um, which obviously didn't happen in Detroit, and you know, Chicago was only a cup of coffee. Um, when I got to Brooklyn, I think the most impactful thing for me was Kenny just kind of being like, hey, like, go make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like, don't worry about it. Like, we're, you know, quite frankly, we're a bad team at the time. You know, go out there and make mistakes, figure it out. Um, and, then, and then you'd push certain aspects. He'd be like, I want you to be more aggressive. Or I want you to look to score. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. So every year, um, it just kind of morphed. You know, my, my first good season – well, I'll go through all four of my seasons in, in Brooklyn. So my first year, it was as like, you know, backup spot minutes here and there. So I was like six, seven points. I just kind of ran the offense. He was, he was proud of me to be a little bit more aggressive, but, you know, it was still a little bit foreign. was kind of trying to just make it on the non-guarantee contract. Um, the next year, obviously, everybody kind of gets hurt. And so it's really kind of like my team for the season. Mm-hmm. And I think that year is where I had like the four-to-one assist turnover ratio and really kind of like playing – very comfortable. I wasn't going too far outside of myself uh, scoring-wise, but just kind of doing what was natural. So I think I was like six, seven assists, you know, was was up there with it. Um, like I said, four to one assist turn ratio, just kind of doing my thing, spreading the ball around. And, and we were at, at least like competitive. We didn't win much, mm-hmm. but we were competitive. And then, uh, you know, my third year, that was uh, the year, last year when we went to the playoffs, they basically said like they wanted that type of Lou Williams, like get to it off the bench type of guy. Mm-hmm. And so that was what I was instructed to do. So that's why I did it. And, you know, Ed Davis, one of the best Love vets. That, yeah, mm-hmm. one of the best vets I've ever had in my life. He told me, he was like, look, don't pass it to me. Like, <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did you find this guy? I've been looking for this guy. I'm telling you. Spencer, I'm 50 years old. I've been looking for someone to say that to me my whole life. How did you find this? I don't believe that. I promise he'd be like, don't pass to me. He was like, I'd rather you put it up on the rim and I'll get the rebound and put it back. He was like, he was like, you come off the pick and roll, you do your thing. <laughs> I would come flying off the pick and roll at the big, not even thinking about passing the ball at all. Just like, you know, 100 miles an hour, how are we going to get to, you know, get this bucket? And and he, you know, to his credit, like, never complained, set the best screens he possibly could and, you know, cleaned up a lot of, you know, my misses. Because sometimes when you flying down in there that fast, you know, the misses can get a little wild and, and, and Ed ate off that. Um, and then this year, you know, it was very up and down. It was like, you know, at some points in time, I was supposed to be Lou Williams. The number one. Yeah, the time, yeah. yeah, I was supposed to be the number one. And other points in time, I was supposed to be, you know, Robin, the Kyrie's Batman. And, and you know, all, all three of those are, are different things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they all kind of morph into different things because if you're Lou Williams, you know, you have the ball in your hand, but you're like, you got you to gotta push the pedal to the metal from the jump. Mm-hmm. Boom. Like, you just got to hit it, right? Um, if you're being Robin, the Kyrie's Batman – it's more so like, 
hey, um, you know, if Kyrie's shooting a lot, maybe when I get the rock, like I need to try to find Joe, right? Because mm-hmm. it keeps the the team fluid. Like I'll get shots and things because I'm also a spot up shooter for Kyrie, but I know like I'm gonna get the ball second, so like I'll have opportunities. But I I really have to gauge like the flow of the team on top of like how can I best fit Kyrie and and what do I think he needs, right? Like. Mm-hmm okay, he he's driving a lot this direction. Like, maybe I need to sprint the floor more here, you know? And so you're, you're constantly trying to, like, figure out how you continue to fit and mix and match. And then when you're the number one, it's a whole nother situation because that your, your team dynamic also dictates how you number one. There's some number ones where, like, they're getting everybody off first. There's some number ones that are like, I'll take all the burden, and then you guys eat off the ease of me being the guy and and you know with our team this year in those moments when when I was the number one I think uh specifically when both Kyrie and Karis weren't playing it was like how can you absorb as much of the responsibility as possible good or bad make or miss Mm -hmm. and then make the game as easy as possible for those people like around you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and being a number one when Karis was in, but Kyrie wasn't in, it was more so like, how can I make sure everybody gets a touch? You know what I mean? Cause I know Karis is going to be very aggressive in his own right. And then when we get to the fourth quarter or we get to whenever, like how can you start to try to punch it? And so it was like four different roles within a season and mm-hmm. trying to be this guy, but then be that guy and then be that guy, but then be this guy. And you know, it, it was, I told my parents, I was like, this was the hardest season that I've had um, to date, just having to like consistently like morph and and be cognizant of how all these other parts are feeling and and doing based upon the roles that you're in, right? They might love you when you're the, you know, robbing the Kyrie because you're more in that facilitate, hey, I'm gonna get everybody shots and make sure everybody's happy role. But then when you have to go be that number one and go get 30, they're like, Spence ain't passed. <laughs> like, I know, but like, I kind of got to go do this. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's just all over the place. And, you know, but it was, it was a rewarding experience for sure in terms of just learning and growth and all that. I was going to say, at times like these, are you happy that you had like Steve Blake and Brandon Jennings in front of you at one point where you could just watch the, the antithesis of each other play point guard? One guy that just is a oh, gunner sure. and Steve Blake, who's just like the, the the clinical, let me get you your points, let me get you your assists. For sure. No, I mean, everybody that I've played with, I've taken some from, and, and that's from, you know, the number one guy to the 15th guy, you know, mm-hmm. being with Brandon Jennings, Steve Blake, uh, Reggie Jackson, Jeremy Lin, D'Angelo Russell, Kyrie. Yeah. Um, you know, you you take from you take from all of them, like mm-hmm. John Lucas the third, even. Oh you know yeah, what I mean, like, my favorite. I, yeah, took took a lot from him too. So you know, you have a you have a lot of OGs that you know you you come into contact with, and and when they're willing to to give game, it always helps a young young guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? No question. No question. Well, hey, we could talk to you all day, my <laughs> friend, and though no, we really appreciate it, and uh, hey, you take care of yourself. Yep. And uh, thanks again for taking time with us. And I promise we'll talk about basketball next time if you're if you're <laughs> kind enough to come back for us. But thank you so much. Uh, be well. We're big fans of you here. And uh, the new nickname Trillion, it started Trillion. here. Yep. Just don't forget about it. And, uh, and, and and let us know where can we buy your shoes. We're we're, we're going to 
we're, we're going to, we want to buy your shoes. How do we do that? Tell us how do we buy some of your shoes? Uh, I mean, the, the easiest way, uh, anything I'm affiliated with, you can find on SpencerDenry.com. So just go to my personal website. You'll be able to, you know, click around there and, and, and get to them. So don't even, don't even have any too much hassle. You'll be fine. There you go. Uh, SpencerDenry.com. We appreciate it, Spencer. No All problem. Right. Thank you. All right. Be good, my brother. Yeah, feel better, man. We, All we, right. we hope that you can play. That's what, that's oh, what we're at. Fingers crossed. This, 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 play. this is great, man. Hey, I know, I, I know what you're doing. Hey, you counting right now. That's <laughs> <laughs>